Get your Bibles, turn with me. Numbers chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, up there at the front. So, Numbers chapter 20, we're going to read a story. And, and you, 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 this story happened twice, or it's very similar. Uh, this is towards the end, we'll explain it. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there, and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. You and Aaron, your brother, and tell, the, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. There are the, these are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them, he showed himself holy. All right, what a story. There are so many spiritual implications for our lives in this one, but we are only going to focus on one. And it's the one, it's that P word, right? It's that, it's that word that we do not like to talk about, especially as parents. In our, in, in our Christian circles, you know what I'm talking about. In our Christian circles, we all say the same thing. Don't ask God for it because there's only one way to get it. We laugh and we joke about that, but he, that, that's a true statement. Now, we talked about peace last week, so it's not that P word. We're talking about the other. Paul wrote to the church, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit so church as you know if you don't know let me update you on some things this year we are on a journey it should be a lifelong journey but our attention this year is on christ likeness or as we like to say, becoming like Jesus. And it's rooted in the New Testament. 
that there's this expectation of when you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus, you are then on a journey of no longer living for yourself and living to meet your needs and what you want, but you are on a journey of becoming like Jesus. And so for most of this year, we've been paying attention to the characteristics of his life so that we can start to live these things out better in our lives. And Jesus promised his disciples that he was, he'd be going away. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to go away. But don't worry. I'm going to give you this helper. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my helper, this Holy Spirit that's going to come into your life. And here's the promise with that. If we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, then the Spirit is going to produce fruit in us that helps us to resemble Jesus. And part of that fruit is the virtue of patience. And so today, we step on some toes. My toe is probably the hardest. This past Wednesday, we had sermon team. We have sermon team. Sermon team is just a group of, of you guys that, that Couple couple Wednesdays a month, we come up here and we talk sermons. We talk about upcoming sermons. We talk about the sermon that's about to be preached. And, and this, this past week, we had some some new people present, and I, I was certainly excited about that. And so, one of those new people was Amanda. She took the day off. She's like, "I'm gonna take the day off. I'm gonna spend it with you." And I'm like, "Great, we're going to sermon team." So she took the day off, and um, she came up to church with me. And it'd been a good morning up till that point in time. We took Stella to breakfast. Dropped her off at school. We went back home. We had a painter lined up to come give us a quote. And how about this? The painter was a few minutes early. Hallelujah. I know that like the biggest miracle of, of the week right there. The painter was there. We, we, we talked with the guy and we, we, we went around. He got us a quote really quick. And the quote itself was wonderful. All right. And so we're just like, man, things are just lining up. So we had a we had a good morning. We did some things around the house, and then it was time to come up here for sermon team. And so we 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 left and we we came up here. And of course, I know what we're about to talk about. We are about to talk about patience at this sermon team. And I get to the intersection of Modus Road and the Beltline. Man, sitting right there next to me. And I'm going to tell you, right, people, it's called an acceleration lane for a reason. All right, you hit that thing, you keep moving. There's two places in this town, both of them off the belt line, that, that we just kind of just check out, okay? It's an acceleration lane. You Amen. keep moving, uh-huh. You accelerate, you accelerate, you do this at a, at, a, at a responsible rate, okay? You don't have to Mario Andretti it or anything. You, 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 you keep moving, and then you safely merge into the flow of traffic. This is not called a stop and wait for there to be no cars within eyesight lane. All right, but too many people around this town think that's what it is, and that happens. And you can ask Amanda, this gets underneath my skin, and right away, it hit me. And to the point that I believe there's a sign that I'm not aware of that floats above my head that says, do this to make him mad. Because I, it just keeps happening over, and I think it's a personal attack. I, I, I think it's the, the town of Decatur personally attacking me, and this is how they're going to get to me. They're going to stop at the acceleration lane on Motors Road and up here at the end of Cedar Street getting onto the belt line. In a matter of a few seconds, 
Mal's having a good morning. All right, we, 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 we've, had, we've had a good morning, and just like that, I'm now yelling at the cars in front of me, you know, windows rolled up, radio blaring, of course. Uh, I'm yelling at them, and now I'm complaining about how, as society, we have lost common sense and basic driving skills. And it happened just like that. And I'm amazed, seriously, that in my life, church, that I can be tolerable of a lot of things, I can be laid back. I can be easygoing. There's things that will not upset me and don't upset me. But then there are these instances that set me off. And I'm telling you, it's like this. I just start, I complain, and I get frustrated. Is that just me? I'm scared to look. I'm scared to look at the reaction. It's just me. Moses finally lost it with the people. He lost it with the people that he didn't even volunteer to leave. He's minding his own business out in the wilderness, and God approaches him at the burning bush. And, and I mean, this was like many years before this. And he told him, hey, Moses, you're going to go and you're going to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the earth that you know also has a bone to pick with you. Uh, you're going to go confront Pharaoh that I, God, am going to lead them, my, my people, out of his out of bondage into the promised land. All right, like, and, and Moses like, I didn't sign up for this. You came and you found me. And in this moment, number 20, our story, Moses <coughs> snaps. He loses it. To the point that there's just a few weeks now from the, from the Israelites actually going into the promised land. And God says, you know what, Moses? Because of your unbelief, because of, your, because of what you've done, you and Aaron, you're not going to get to see the promised land. Now, that seems harsh, right? We, we can talk about that another time. But let's just wrap our minds around what Moses did and what triggered this, okay? As stated, God said, you're going to be the deliverer of Israel. Now, we know that God does the heavy lifting, but Moses, you're going to be the messenger. You're going to go before Pharaoh. You're going to say all the things I want you to say. You're going to do all the things I want you to do, right? The staff in his hand, that's a that's a big part of this story. That, that staff, that staff makes its way, all right, uh, on, on this journey. And so part of the deliverance, we get that. Uh, if, if Pharaoh finally breaks, says, y'all get up out of here, leave. Uh, then Pharaoh chases them. Part of the deliverance is crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. The people get to the Red Sea, and they're panicking. Oh, my gosh. And here comes Pharaoh. He's going to kill us. Did that just really happen? I know. <laughs> They're clean. They're clean. <laughs> so Moses, I'll have to edit that part of them. They'll have to edit, edit that part. So, so Moses is like, what do I do? And God says, hey, take that staff and just hit, hit the Red Sea. Just hit the water and it's going to part. And so we know that they go across on dry ground. God is leading the nation to the promised land, right? So they cross over, Pharaoh's army comes along, and what happens? They all get swallowed up by the sea, okay? And so now we're just, now we're going. We're, we're on our way to the promised land, right? And the people are like, hey, we're thirsty. Where's some water? And, and, and so they, they get to this one spot, and, and it, it's, hey, it's, the water's terrible here. I mean, it's like drinking, like, beach water from Florida, you know? It's like that sulfur. It's nasty and everything, and and, and y'all know when you go down there, it's like, ooh, this just isn't good, 
clean, crisp water. And so the people are complaining. The water's terrible. What is bitter? We can't even, it's not fit to drink. And so God says to Moses, throw a stick in the water. And what happens? It becomes purified water, right? So we leave there. We're still on our way to the promised land. God's like, all right, before I set you up as a holy nation, I've got to give you some kind of, some boundaries, some guidelines. There's going to be 10 of them. And so we're going to go into the Sin, S-I-N, desert on our way to Mount Sinai. And we're going to set up camp there for a couple of days while, while I give you these boundaries, while I give you these guidelines. And so Exodus chapter 17, on the way to, to get the Ten Commandments, we come to this place, and it doesn't have any water. And so God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. Gather everybody. Now, when I say to people, they didn't have any water, you know what the people did. They gripe and they complain. They gripe and they complain. They gripe and they complain. And I'm telling you, these, these Hebrew words of, of what we just read, quarrel and rebel, oh man, they're, they're strong. They are strong words. And the people are griping and complaining the whole time. Exodus chapter 17, God tells Moses, take that staff you have, and you go out there and you hit that rock. And walk, watch what happens. And so Exodus 17, he goes out there, he hits the rock, water starts flowing. Okay? So they go on, they get the Ten Commandments. Now we get to the promised land, and we know what happens. The promised land is occupied. So what do we do? They, God says, send in some spies to check it out. So they send in some spies. Two were bad, two were good. Right? The people didn't have any faith. I mean, God's already done all this other stuff. He's already provided along the way, but God somehow can't rid the promised land that he's given to them of these people. Even though he can part seas, and he can make water come out of the rocks and anything else, people don't trust God. They gripe, they complain, he brought us here to die. And so God says, fine, you know what? You're an ungrateful generation. You're going to walk around in circles out here for 40 years until all of you die. Right? Joshua, Caleb, you get a pass. Moses, Aaron, Miriam, you get a pass. But all the rest of you, you don't, you're not going to see the promised land. I'm going to walk I'm going to lead you around in circles. And so for 40 years, they walk around in the wilderness. For 40 years, there's an issue. They're griping. They're complaining. 40 years of this goes on and on and on. And now, the promised land is close. Like it, it's there. The generation seems to have gotten some things a little bit better than the previous like they've got a different belief in God that he can do some things, but they're still human, and when they're out of their comfort zone and they don't have what they want, they do what humans do best. They gripe and they complain. And now we're at a different desert, desert of Zin, like when we're saying that Zion, Zin, we're here, we want some water. And here's the thing. That's in there. Miriam is the older sister to Moses. She's part of his life from the very beginning. When, when Moses was born, remember Pharaoh was killing all the babies, so Pharaoh's, I mean, Moses' mama set, set, set Moses in a little basket in the Nile River, let it float on down, hoping that Pharaoh's daughter would find it and that the baby would live, there would be some mercy shown, and Miriam was there, and she was one of the servant girls to to the daughter, and, and so Miriam's been there from the very beginning. She's been there on this whole journey. And she dies. And 
how people are driving. Verse 20. So Moses and Aaron, they do what they do. They go before the Lord. This time, this time it's a little bit different. Hey, we've already been here before. We know what to do. Take the staff and go out there and hit the rock and water's going to float. But this time, it's a little different. This time, I want you to go, I want you to take the staff. Like, that's in there. I want you to take the staff, and I want you to go out there, but I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to tell the rock what to do. And you can see on the words of Moses, he's frustrated with the people because what the Bible doesn't tell you is they kept griping and kept complaining. And you know these people. You've been these people somewhere along the way. All right? Somewhere part of life, you've been these people. Whatever it is, man, you, you you just got negative thoughts flowing through you, and you're griping, and you are complaining. And Moses, with all of this that's going on, he just lost his sister, and the people are griping and complaining. He calls them rebels. They're being defiant. And he loses it. Like, like, like his losing it at that point in time was so different than, than me up here at Moses and Beltline and what happened there. He loses it. And if you follow the text, and a lot begin, we're not here to talk about all that stuff. He, he, his patience with the people runs out. And instead of doing what God has said to him, he now takes matters into his own hands. But God wanting to be holy, he still works through the situation because God is able to do that. And instead of speaking to the rock to provide water, he hits it a couple of times. God's like, <clears throat> Patience. That's what we're talking about. Because patience, that, that's what snapped. Patience is the thing that, that happened that, that the people themselves, yes, they struggle with big time, but it's the thing that Moses forgot in this moment. Patience in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, they, they, they have these, these meanings. To endure something without complaining. Like, like if you read through the word patience, and you look at it at different places in the Hebrew and the Greek, you're going you're gonna to find it's not just to endure something. It's to endure something without complaining. Most of us, myself for sure, Michael, struggles just to endure things. All right? Things that are uncomfortable, things I don't like. I, 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 look, I, I struggle with that, but then on add to this, I'm to do it without complaining. Or it's this. Being able to remain calm in difficult situations. So the key to patience, based on what we know in Scripture, isn't only about enduring or tolerating something or someone for long periods of time. It's able to do this without complaining. It's being able to do this without reacting. It's being able to do the task while remaining calm. So this is what and how the Bible uses the word patience. It's being able to do something, being able to endure hardship without griping or complaining. Right? How are you feeling about your level of patience? I mean, you, you, you might, yeah, I can endure some things. I can endure those people at work. I can endure this situation. Oh, but now I can't complain about it? Ooh, you're no longer a patient person. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's, hey, what, what are the things that test our patience? So I talked to our sermon team. I had, I had some, new, some, some 
the new people at the sermon team. Listen to how our sermon team responded named John Nixon. Alright? One of the things that tests our patience, this is what they said, negative persons or negative people. Because they can suck the life out of you. Y'all know any of those people? How about disrespectful people? How about people that take advantage of you? Oh, we got one person said my children. Who that is. People who do not listen, people who do not follow advice, inconsiderate people, unaware and ungrateful people, people at the intersection of motors and belt line who sit and don't use the acceleration lane. Like, like those, those are the things. And, and I hope you notice what all of those statements have in common. Surely there are moments in life where a task, a, a chore becomes frustrating and we lose it. Every mechanic I know has thrown tools more than once. Every mechanic has done it. And then they get frustrated there because they ain't going to go find the tool. I remember the story I, I bought. Amanda was there. I, I went to Harbor Freight. And I hate cheap tools. I went to Harbor Freight. And I bought these, these long clamps because I needed some long bar clamps. Trying to save some money and be thrifty and everything. And I'm I'm working on something at the house and we're remodeling. And so there's there's chaos, there's stuff everywhere. And I'm, I'm using one of these long clamps. And then this clamp, it just won't, it's a harbor freight clamp, all right? And it it just will not bring together the things that I'm trying to clamp. And it won't hold it. And I'm trying to figure out other things and I'm getting frustrated and I keep coming back to it. And then I like forget it. I set this clamp up over here. Well then the clamp, something happened, I bumped something, and the clamp slid over, and it hit me on the head as I bent over. I picked that thing up, and I slung it. You know, droom, droom. I'm in my garage. It's, it's a, it's a five-foot clamp, right? And I slung this thing, you know, out of the garage, out into the driveway, and Amanda's just like, what, what, what happened? Right? We lose it sometimes when it comes to tasks or chores, but here's the for most of us, what tests our levels of patience is people. And it's interesting that our sermon team this day listed negative characteristics in people. It's the very thing that tests our ability to enjoy something we actually do. Because here's the hard reality of what we're talking about. Our ability to be patient is linked to our love. Track the fruit of the Spirit that produces fruit in your life. Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love, right? That's something I choose. I, I choose whether or not I'm going to love unconditionally. Joy and peace, we've talked about those the last two weeks. That these are not choices. Joy and peace are not choices, but they're products of us being faithful to God. Meaning that our obedience to God over long periods of time will produce joy and peace in my life. What's the very next fruit mentioned? Patience, right? I get to choose whether or not I'm going to be patient. I, I get to choose that when I get to the checkout line at Publix and there's somebody that decides at the last minute after everything's been done that they're going to write a check, 
I get to choose my response and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle that situation. I get to choose how when I pull up to the, the acceleration lane and there's people just camped out there tailgating, having a tailgate party there, that I get to choose how I'm going to respond and what I'm going to do. All right? 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It's not coming up on the screen. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. We urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Jesus was having this conversation with this rich guy, and he was like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You know the story. Jesus said, follow all the rules, and, and we get back and forth. You know where we land? Love the Lord your God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as myself. Well, who's my neighbor? Anybody you come in contact with, that's your neighbor. Anybody, wherever you encounter them, that is your neighbor. And who are we to be patient with? We are to be patient with everyone. I love, in this season of life that I'm in, I love doing word studies of the Greek and the Hebrew. It's called a lemma. Or, Lou might be aware of this, the limitization in, in the whole cyber world that talks about how they, they track the words that we use. Anyway, it's the study of words and how they are used. Alright? Scholars and theologians have been doing it for, for generations. And Paul tells the church, be patient with everyone. And you know what everyone in this passage means? It's, it's mind-blowing. You know what everyone means? Everyone. All people that you come in contact with, you are to be patient with them. You are to endure them without complaining. That, 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 that's it. And he gives some examples here in this text. Some examples that, hey, as a society, we kind of look down upon. Lazy. Now he tells us to warn them. Are you being lazy? All right, and we know what the Bible says other places. Right? If you're lazy, you shouldn't eat. He talks about the timid. All right, he talks about the weak. And he says these words, be patient with everyone. Now there's some others not mentioned on this list, right? How about the annoying neighbor? Co-worker? How about that person? We're to be patient with them. How about the disrespectful? We're to be patient with them. What about those who don't listen? What about the little people in your home who always want something to eat and always want to go somewhere? They give you attitude every now and again. Look, discipline is part of the deal, but you still got to be patient. We are to be patient with everyone. Because patience and love are linked together. And Paul's telling the church at Corinth, they're struggling with love, they're struggling with their identity. He goes, let me tell you what, let me tell you about love. And you, you, it's not coming up on the screen, but you know this. You've been doing enough weddings in your life. You, you know what I'm about to say. Paul start, starts describing love, the, the unconditional, the sacrificial love that God has for you and I. Right? And what's the very first detail Paul gives about what love is? Love is patience. 
And who are we to be patient with? Everyone. No exceptions. I, 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 don't, I, don't, get to, I don't get to choose my inner circles. It's easier for me to be patient with these people over here, but over here, I don't have to be patient. No, if I'm going to become like Jesus, and I'm, and I'm on this journey, I have to be patient with everyone. And I don't like saying that. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing to this church, and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Hey, church, that's what he's saying to you and I today. You, you've got to walk. You, you, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling on your life. You've been called. When you, when you step foot and said, you know what, I'm ready to surrender my life, I'm ready to give my life to you, Jesus, and, I, and I'm, I'm now no longer going to live for me, I'm going to live for you. That, that's what Paul's talking about here in, in this calling. I no longer get to live for me. As a matter of fact, on your own time, go check out verses 22-24. And Paul tells you right up front, hey, you are to put off your old self, your old way of thinking, your old way of living. That you you got to put that off. And we're to be renewed in how we think, and we're to put on our new self. And you know what verse 24 says? Created after the likeness of God. When we embrace living out this calling in our lives, we do so with all humility, gentleness, and patience. And we bear with one another in love. Now, question, $64,000 question, we want to know it. How do I become patient? Right, it, it, it's a complex system. It, it really is. It's actually really easy to understand. It's much harder to apply and to live out. Two Bible verses, almost done. Y'all know that Caleb wrote it. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We talked about that. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the deal. In the Greek, steadfastness and patience, they're brothers. Okay? Endurance, perseverance. Think of it that way. They're, they're so close to one another. Steadfastness and patience. The King James actually uses the word patience here, right? It means to endure hardship or trying situations. That, that's it. The difference between steadfastness and patience, steadfastness definition doesn't mention complaint. You don't get off on that. You don't get a pass. Because they are linked together. That we are to endure hardships or trying situations. So here's the thing. Our development, church, Right now, for you, me and you, our development of becoming like Jesus is dependent upon us becoming more patient. And we have to go through difficult times. James promises that. And sometimes those difficult times are for hours at a time. Sometimes they may last a day, a week. 
Sometimes those difficult times may last 40 years. I mean, we, we see it in the history of man. A relationship with God. He's going to allow for there to be difficult situations. And the difficult situations are here. James tells us the, the reason for these things. Because they are going to test us. And our faith is going to be produced. It's going to grow. It's going to be mature. And we are going to be complete, not lacking anything. And so if we do everything in our American DNA to avoid hardship, to avoid being taken out of our comfort zone. If we do anything like that, we are limiting what God is trying to do as we face trials. I'm not saying we should run to them and embrace them, but we go out of our way to try to avoid any type of conflict, tension, difficult times. The Bible's clear. You're going to be tested. It's the difficult times that are going to test your faith where you are going to grow and mature. And so two things we need to do today to develop patience. One, we need to embrace the trials and the difficult situations. They're going to be there. You embrace it. The second thing, found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Every week as we talk about the characteristics of Jesus, prayer seems to work its way in our lives. Talk about it with joy. Talk about it with peace. Prayer is connected to the fruit and with the fruit of the Spirit it is trying to be in our lives. So we must be constant in prayer. So here's my What if he's dealing with the weight of the people griping and complaining? And then there's the trigger. Then there's the, the, the thing that pushes him over the edge. And I believe that the loss of his sister added a different stress, added a different, different tension to his life. What if in the moments of tension is coming on, if, if, there's, if there's a difficult decision, if there's stress at work, if there's, if there's something, what if in the moment we walk away just for, just for a minute and pray? And we come back to it. Be constant in prayer. It's all about living up to the calling and becoming like Jesus. Patience is not a fun thing. But what's greater than that is us becoming like Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you again for your words. And we'd assume us just skip over some topics and patience might be one of those for a lot of people. We can read the story of Moses, God, and it doesn't seem fair. But the reality is, when I am not patient with people, there are consequences. 
when I am not patient with people, God, it, it harms relationships. When I gripe and I complain, it, it takes me out of the presence of the Spirit. So God, you, you know what's best for our lives. And you're like, hey, just, just develop patience. And it's going to come in trials. But as you become patient, you're going to experience joy. You're going to experience peace. And, and so God, I, I pray for that. I, I, I'm not praying that we all be tested today in this moment, but I pray, God, that we embrace the trials that come. We see them as opportunities to, to grow and to mature so that we may be complete, lacking nothing. God, I pray that I'm an example of this in my, my own family. easy for people to get underneath our skin, God. And we lose our patience with them. We've got to question our love. And our love for you grows as our love for others is developed. So help us, Father. Help us today to become more patient. These are the things we ask in your son's name.